0: Chapter 7 of the Spanish Brothers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Del de Pinaroles. The Spanish Brothers by Deborah Alcock. Chapter 7 The Disengaño. Beginning with a quote. And I should evermore be vexed with thee, in vacant robe or hanging ornament, or ghostly footfall lingering on the stair tennyson the journey from the city of oranges to the green slopes of the sierra morena ought to have been a delightful one to don carlos alvarez it was certainly bright with hope he scarcely harbored a doubt of the ultimate success of his plans and the consequent attainment of all his wishes already he seemed to feel the soft hand of doña beatriz in his and to stand by her side before the high altar of the great cathedral and yet, as days passed on, the brightness within grew fainter, and an acknowledged shadow, ever deepening, began to take its place. At last he drew near his home, and rode through the little grove of cork-trees, where he and Juan had played as children. When last they were there together, the autumn winds were strewing the leaves, all dim and discoloured, about their paths. Now he looked through the fresh green foliage at the deep, intense blue of the summer sky but, though scarcely more than twenty, he felt at that moment old and worn, and wished back the times of his boyish sports with his brother. Never again could he feel quite happy with Juan. Soon, however, his sorrowful fancies were put to flight by the joyous greeting of the hounds, who rushed with much clamor from the castle yard to welcome him. There they were, all of them, Pedro, Zina, Pepe, Gulo, Butron. It was Juan who had named them, every one and there, at the gate, stood Diego and Dolores, ready to give him joyful welcome. Throwing himself from his horse, he shook hands with these faithful old retainers, and answered their kindly but respectful inquiries both for himself and Signor Don Juan. Then, having caressed the dogs, inquired for each of the underservants by name, and giving orders for the due entertainment of his guard, he passed on slowly into the great deserted hall his arrival being unexpected, he merely surrendered his traveling cloak into the hands of Diego, and sat down to wait patiently while the servants, always dilatory, prepared for him suitable accommodation. Dolores soon appeared with a flask of wine and some bread and grapes, but this was only a merienda, or slight afternoon luncheon, which she laid before her young master until she could make ready a supper fit for him to partake of. Carlos spent an half-hour listening to her tidings of the household and the village and felt sorry when she quitted the room and left him to his own reflections every object on which his eyes rested reminded him of his brother there hung the crossbow with which in the old days one had made such vigorous war on the rooks and sparrows there lay the foils and the canes with which they had so often fenced and played one in his unquestioned superiority usually so patient with the younger brother's timidity and awkwardness. And upon that bench he had carved, with a hunting-knife, his name in full, adding the title that had expired with his father, Conde de Nuera. These memories called by these things were becoming intrusive. He would fain shake them off. Gladly would he have had recourse to his favorite pastime of reading. But there was not a book in the castle, to his knowledge, except the breviary he had brought with him. For lack of more congenial occupation, he went out at last to the stable to look at the horses, and to talk to those who were grooming and feeding them. Later in the evening Dolores told him that supper was ready, adding that she had laid it in the small inner room, which she thought Senor Don Carlos would find more comfortable than the great hall. That inner room was, even more than the hall, haunted by the shadowy presence of Juan. But usually it was daylight when the brothers were there together, now a tapestry curtain shaded the window, and a silver lamp shed its light on the well-spread table with its snowy drapery, and cover laid for one. A lonely meal, however luxurious, is always apt to be somewhat dreary. It seems a provision for the lowest wants of our nature, and nothing more. Carlos sought to escape from the depressing influence by giving wings to his imagination, and dreaming of the time when wealth enough to repair and refurnish that half-ruinous old homestead might be his. He pleased himself with pictures of the long tables in the great hall, groaning beneath the weight of a bountiful provision for a merry company of guests, upon whom the sweet face of Doña Beatrice might be welcome. But how idle such fancies! The castle, after all, was Juan's, not his, unless, indeed, more difficulties than one should be solved by Juan's death upon such French or Flemish battlefield. This thought he could not bear to entertain. Grown suddenly sick at heart, he pushed aside his plate of stewed pigeon, and, regardless of the feelings of Dolores, sent away untasted her dessert of sweet butter cake dipped in honey. He was weary, he said, and he would go to rest at once. It was long before sleep would visit his eyelids, and when at last it came, his brother's dark, reproachful eyes haunted him still. At daybreak he awoke with a start from a feverish dream that Juan, all pale and ghost-like, I come to his bedside, and, laying a hand on his arm, said solemnly, I claim the jewel I left thee in trust. Further sleep was impossible. He rose and wandered out into the fresh air. As yet, no one was astir. Fair and sweet was all that met his gaze, the faint pearly light, the first blush of dawn in the quiet sky, the silvery dew that bathed his footsteps. But the storm within raged more fiercely for the calm without. There was first an agonizing struggle to repress the rising thought. Better, after all, not to do this thing. But, in spite of his passionate efforts, the thought gained a hearing, it seemed. To so cry aloud within him, Better, after all, not to betray Juan, and give Beatrice up forever? Forever, he repeated over and over again, beating it in upon his weary brain as though it were the burden of a song. He had climbed, almost unawares, to the top of a rocky hill, and now he stood, looking around him at the prospect just as if he saw it in truth he saw nothing felt nothing outward until at last a misty round rain swept in his face refreshing his burning brow with a touch as of cool fingers then he descended mechanically exchanging salutations as if nothing were amiss with him with the milkmaid and woodboy he crossed the open courtyard and re-entered the hall there dolores and a girl who worked under her were already busy so he passed by them into the inner room its darkness seemed to stifle him with hasty hand he drew aside the heavy tapestry curtain as he did so something caught his eye for the hundredth time he re-read the mystic inscription on the glass el dorado yo he trovado and as an infant's touch may open a sluice that lets in the mighty ocean those simple words broke up the fountains of the great deep within he gave full course to the emotions they awakened again he heard juan's voice repeat them again he saw juan's deep earnest eyes look into his not now reproachfully but with full unshaken trust as in the old days when first he said we will go forth together and find our father juan brother he cried aloud i will never wrong thee so help me god at that moment the rising sun having scattered the mist with the glory of its rising sent one of its early beams to kiss the handwriting on the window-pane old token for good thought carlos whose imaginative nature could play with fancies even in the hours of supreme emotion and true still even yet only the good is all for one for me nothing but despair and so Don carlos found his disengagno or disenchantment and it was a very thorough one body and mind were well nigh exhausted with the violence of the struggle perhaps this was fortunate so far that it won for the decision of his better nature and more rapid and easy acceptance. In a sense, and for a season, any decision was welcome to the weary, tempest-tossed soul. It was afterwards that he asked himself how were long years to be dragged on without the face that was the joy of his heart and the life of his life. How was he to bear the never-ending pain, the aching loneliness of such a lot? Better to die at once than to endure this slow living death he knew well that it was not in his nature to point the pistol or the dagger at his own breast. But he might pine away and die silently, as many thousands die of blighted hopes and a ruined life. Or, and this was more likely, perhaps, as time passed on, he might grow dead in hardened soul, until at last he would become a dry, cold, mechanical mass-priest, mumbling the church's Latin with thin, bloodless lips, a keen eye to his dues, and a heart that might serve for a church relic. So much faith would it require to believe that it had been a warm and living one? Still, laudably anxious to provide against possible future waverings of the decision so painfully attained, he wrote informing his uncle of his safe arrival, adding that he had fully made up his mind to take orders at Christmas, but that he had found it advisable to remain in his present quarters for a month or two. He at once dispatched two of the men-at-arms with a letter, and much was the thrifty Don Manuel's surprise that his nephew should spend a handful of silver reals in order to inform him of what he knew already. Gloomily the day wore on. The instinctive reserve of a sensitive nature made Carlos talk to the servants, receive the accounts, inspect the kine and sheep, do everything, in short, except eat and drink, as he would have done if a great sorrow had not all the time been crushing his heart. It is true that Dolores, who loved him as her own son, was not deceived. It was for no trivial cause that the young master was pale as a corpse, restless and irritable, talking hurriedly by fitful snatches, and then relapsing into moody silence. But Dolores was a prudent woman, as well as a faithful and loving one. Therefore she held her peace and bided her time. But Carlos noticed one effort she made to console him. Coming in towards evening from a consultation with Diego about some cork-trees which a Morisco merchantman wished to purchase and cut down, he saw upon his table a carefully sealed wine-flask with a cup beside it. He knew whence it came. His father had left in the cellar a small quantity of choice wine of Zeres, and this relic of more prosperous time being, like most of their other possessions in the care of Dolores, was only produced very sparingly on unrare occasions. But she evidently thought senor don carlos needed it now touched by her watchful unobtrusive affection he would have gratified her by drinking but he had a peculiar dislike to drinking alone while he knew he would only render his sanity doubtful by inviting either her or diego to share the luxurious bedroom so he put it aside for the present and drew towards him a sheet of figures an inkhorn, and a pen he could not work however with the silence and solitude his great grief came back upon him again but nature all this time had been silently working for him his despair was giving way to a more violent but less bitter sorrow tears came now a long passionate fit of weeping relieved his aching heart since his early childhood he had not wept thus an approaching step recalled him to himself he rose with haste and shame and stood beside the window hoping that his position and the waning light might together shield him from observation it was only Dolores. Signor, she said, entering somewhat hastily, will it please you to see to those men of Seville that came with your excellency? They are insulting a pure little muleteer and threatening to rob his packages. Yanguisian carriers and other muleteers, bringing goods across the Sierra Morena from the towns of La Mancha to those of Andalusia, often passed by the castle and sometimes received hospitality there. Carlos rose at once at the summons, saying to Dolores, where is the boy? He is not a boy, Signor. he is a man, a very little man, but with a greater spirit, if I mistake not, than some twice his size. It was true enough. On the green plot at the back of the castle, beside which the mountain pathway led, there were gathered the ten or twelve rough civil pikemen, taken from the lowest of the population, and most of them of Moorish blood. In their midst, beside the foremost of his three mules, with one arm thrown around her neck, on the other raised to give effect by animated gestures to his ear oratory stood the muleteer he was a very short spare active-looking man clad from head to foot in chestnut-coloured leather his mules were well laden each with three large alforjas one on each side and one laid across the neck but they were evidently well fed and cared for also and they presented a gay appearance with their adornments of bright-coloured worsted tassels and tiny bells "'You know, my friends,' the muleteer was saying, as Carlos came within hearing, "'that an arrow's alforjas are like a soldier's colours. "'It stands upon his honour to guard them in violet. "'No, no, ask him for aught else. "'His purse, his blood, they are at your service, "'but never touch his colours if you care for a long life.' "'My honest friend, your colours, as you call them, shall be safe here,' said Carlos kindly. The muleteer turned towards him a good-humoured, intelligent face, and, bowing low, thanked him heartily. "'What is your name?' asked Carlos, and whence do you come. "'I am Juliano. Juliano el Chico, Julian the Little, men generally call me, since, as your excellency sees, I am not very great, and I come last from Toledo.' "'Indeed, and what wares do you carry?' "'Some matters, small in bulk, yet costly which I am bringing for a Seville merchant, Madel de Espinosa by name, if your worship has heard of him. I have mirrors, for example, of a new kind, excellent in worshipmanship and true as steel as well they may be. I know the shop of Espinosa well. I have been much in Seville, said Carlos, with a sudden pain, caused by the recollection of the many pretty trifles that he had purchased there for Doña Beatrix. But follow me, my friend, and a good supper, so I'll make you amends for the rudeness of these fellows. Andres, Take the best care thou canst of his mules. T'will be only fair penance for thy sin in molesting their owner. A hundred thousand thanks, Signor. Still, with your worship's good leave, and no offence to friend Andres, I had rather look to the beast myself. We are old companions. They know my ways, and I know theirs. As you please, my good fellow, Andres will show you the stable, and I shall tell my mayor Domo, to see that you lack nothing again i render to your excellency my poor but hearty thanks carlos went in gave the necessary directions to diego and then returned to his solitary chamber end of chapter seven recording by adele de Piñaroles.